Welcome to The District, a podcast about politics and culture by the spectator world. My name is Matt Purple, and I'm joined by my colleague, Teresa. And today we're going to be talking about the issue du jour in the news right now, and that is guns. There are guns everywhere across America. There are more guns than people. Uh, We have a stronger gun culture than any other first world nation. And recently that's been called into question by uh, not just the usual suspects over on MSNBC, but a lot of people because the nation has uh, seen a very dark week with a number of mass shootings in Uvalde, Texas, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, in Buffalo a little bit earlier back in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, and most recently in Philadelphia, where bar goers were seemingly shot at random on South Street, a very tragic situation. All this has uh, even a lot of moderates, I think, and a lot of centrists wondering whether American gun culture has gone too far, uh, whether the usual moving on that we do after these events isn't enough this time around. And uh, I, I was very keen to talk about this with you, Teresa, because um, we can just give our backgrounds very briefly here. We've known each other for about 10 years, but we come from, I think, very different backgrounds on the subject. I grew up in, I'm a conservative, but I grew up in the bluest of blue state America. And um, I've been to the range plenty of times. I was a Boy Scout, so that that helped. Uh, but guns were never really a part of my life. They, they weren't a part of my culture. Uh, they weren't woven into the fabric of everyday life the way that they are throughout much of the country. And I, I mean, I enjoy firing guns. I, I, I like going to the range. I've been hunting before, but it's not, it, it doesn't strike me as being non-negotiable as an issue, right? It's not something that I really, uh, it keeps me up at night that the government is going to come and, and take my guns away. And I actually don't own any guns right now. I suspect that your experience was a little bit different um, and is a little bit different today. So why don't you tell us about it? Absolutely. Yeah. I grew up in central Pennsylvania and I moved back home a few years ago. And this is the part of the country where Obama infamously said that we are just basically a bunch of hillbillies clinging to our guns and religion, which is true. And I don't think we're ashamed of that. Um, We have a very proud gun ownership heritage here. I think we have the second most number of NRA members after the state of Texas. Um, We have a huge hunting, recreational, sport shooting tradition here. I belong to a trap league. I shoot with a bunch of older gentlemen every Tuesday, and it's a blast to use a pun there. Um, So yeah, it's something that is just kind of a part of our culture here. Guns for most people are not scary. It's something that you grow up around, something you understand, something very importantly you use, uh, you learn to use safely. So I think it was fifth grade, we had mandatory hunter safety education class because the first two hunting, the first two days of hunting season every November deer season are always school holidays. So they just assumed, you know, the majority of kids here are part of that gun culture. They're going to go hunting. They better learn to use guns safely. So for that to be threatened, that's a really big deal to us. And I think a lot of rural cultures where guns are just a part of everyday life, it's a tool, it's a it's a hobby for people. And it's not this big, scary thing that people who didn't grow up with this culture really view them. So let's start with the line that we keep hearing, which is that nobody wants to take the guns away, supposedly anyway, right? Like nobody wants to abolish American gun culture. Uh, but there is a concern that in addition to hunters and law-abiding gun owners who use them for protection, who live half an hour from the nearest police station, use them to protect their families, because it is so easy to get guns in places like Texas and perhaps places like central Pennsylvania, uh, somebody who's mentally ill or somebody who struggles with these incredible 
premonitions of you know impulses towards violence, they can walk into a gun shop as long as they're over the age of 18, and they can walk out with uh, an AR-15-like weapon, which can do an incredible amount of damage uh, in a war, let alone to the, the, the bodies of elementary school children. That's too easy, right? The, the line we keep hearing is that there ought to be more obstacles between that guy and that gun. Do you agree with that? Is that that's something that 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 would play in a place like where you live? Yeah, it sounds good on paper. You know, we always hear about quote unquote common sense gun reform. But what we see in a lot of these instances is that the gun control that we already have in place, we have background checks in Texas and in the rest of the country. And in a lot of cases, these these people are insane. You know, for anybody to want to get a gun and go commit a mass shooting or any shooting at all is not in his or her right mind. Um, so in a lot of these cases, these killers actually passed a background check um, or they found a different way to get a gun. We know that the majority of criminals who use guns, actually, they're not going to go to a gun store and go complete a background check, then get denied and say, oh, you know what? I wasn't able to get a gun today. I guess I won't commit a mass shooting today. That's not how that works. These criminals will find a way. We know that, as I was saying, the majority of people, of criminals who use guns, acquire their guns by either stealing them. They do something called a straw purchase where they have a friend or relative purchase them a gun or they get them through the black market, or they steal them. So uh, it's, it's just, if you think for more than one second, putting more laws in place to stop somebody who is by definition not law-abiding, if you're a criminal, you're not going <laughs> to not gonna bother looking up what the laws are before you decide to break them in a major way. So we already have gun control in place in so many places. And the places where we have the strictest gun control, you look at Chicago, Baltimore, New York City, Los Angeles, these are the bloodiest, most dangerous places in America. So gun control is not working, but they keep trying to make it stricter and stricter. And the only people that gun control affects are the law-abiding people, good people who just want to defend their families and want to get their guns the right way and follow the follow the rules. And they're left as sitting ducks. Yeah. And it's the problem of gun violence in America confounds me because the vast majority of it is committed with handguns, which nobody is suggesting that we ought to outlaw. Right. I mean, I think even on the far left, nobody thinks that we're like Britain, that we're going to have a mass shooting. We're just going to get rid of all handguns or <clears throat> for the most part anyway. And, and that's going to be done with it. And suddenly we're going to see the violent crime rate plunge. It's just a different situation here in America. But mass shootings, at least increasingly, are being carried out with, I know you hate this term, but so-called assault weapons. Right. And, and for a reason, they, they kill very easily. I mean, if a nine millimeter handgun bullet enters your body, if it doesn't strike an artery or a key organ, you have a very good chance that you could survive so long as you get to a hospital. An AR-15 bullet is traveling, what, I think three times faster, and it's essentially going to, I mean, splatter you to the point that you're not alive anymore. I mean, there's just nothing to fix if you end up at the hospital. There's nothing the surgeon can do. And so given how much more potent those guns are and how much they're they're sought out in mass shootings, I think the argument is that if we were to crack down on AR-15 style rifles, we could at least make it more difficult for a mass shooter to do as much damage. And that would potentially uh, make a difference. Now, the problem is everybody goes right to background checks, right? Because background checks are supported supposedly by 90% of the American population. But like you were saying, I think most mass shooters have passed background checks. Certainly Aaron Alexis did, the, the Navy Yard shooter here in Washington, D.C., uh, the Las Vegas shooter had no record of, of criminal 
activity beyond like traffic violations. So background checks aren't going to cut it. And I think, you know, if you're thinking about these uh, so-called assault weapons, you end up at an assault weapon ban. And there are Democrats who who want that. Perhaps that would do some some good at, at preventing these mass shootings. Uh, I, I agree with you, though. I don't think it would do much to lower the gun crime rate generally across the country. Well, the term assault weapon or assault rifle is something that the left just uses arbitrarily to define any sort of weapon that they think looks scary. Actually, as far as rifles go, the AR-15 is not really high-powered, quote-unquote. It does have the capacity to hold a larger number of cartridges than your standard handgun, which is why it, it can produce a lot of damage because you can fire it several times in a row before you have to stop and reload. Um, so that's the problem with it. But actually, um, these these rifles are, as we know, the most popular uh, form of hunting sporting rifle in America. So um, and what's more, most violent crime, 93 percent of the time a gun is not involved. And there's actually been more killings with uh, knives and people's, they call them, I think the FBI called it a personal weapon, which would mean a fist and a hand and things that people just happen to have around than any form of rifle. So to target the AR-15 uh, is misplaced, to, to say the least. And the fact that they're not actually able to define what is meant by an assault weapon or by an assault rifle, it's always changing, as is the term large capacity, quote unquote, you know, that that's subject to whatever Joe Biden or the ATF or whoever wants to say wants to say that it is. So we don't really have definitions for these terms. And it doesn't really matter that the left doesn't really understand guns, doesn't understand how they operate, and does not understand what the terminology actually means. The AR and AR-15, for instance, does not stand for assault rifle. It stands for Armalite <laughs> rifle, which is the company that originally made the AR-15. So you can see how the yeah. language has been manipulated over the years. And the fact that the AR-15 is not one of the more deadly weapons in America compared to the FBI statistics doesn't matter because the point of this is not to protect people. If it were, the left would look for ways such as constitutional carry to uh, to actually arm citizens so they could defend themselves, good law-abiding people, uh, which the FBI has actually given credit to armed citizens for helping them in major ways to cut down on mass shootings. So so if they were actually intent on saving lives, uh, they would they wouldn't be attacking the AR-15. They wouldn't be attacking guns at all. They would be looking for ways to either enforce the gun laws they already have. Uh, the the background check system is extremely flawed. Ninety three percent of the time, when they deny someone a gun, it's actually they're denying the wrong person, and it disproportionately affects minorities because minorities tend to have fewer last names, so they tend to, you know, somebody of say a Hispanic descent is more likely to share the same name as a criminal. So 93% of the time when someone gets an ad in a background check, they're getting it wrong. So they need to find ways to fix the laws we already have in place and to look for ways to stop people from wanting to carry out these heinous crimes. Um, people, a lot of conservatives talk about what is causing people to commit mass shootings in the first place. You know, we're looking at moral issues. We're looking at family life. We're looking at drug use, all these sort of social ills that are present in the United States. And the 
the gun happens to be the weapon of choice in some cases, not not a majority of cases, of course, but in some cases. But until we stop people from wanting to carry out evil, banning the gun is not going to do anything. Responding to a previous point you made, nobody talks about the Clackamas Mall shooting in Oregon, a mass shooting, because the guy who tried to pull it off was instantly shot by another guy who had a gun. And that was the end of it. There was no mass shooting as a result even though authorities now believe that that was what he was intending to do. I think that happened about 10 years ago. So certainly I, I take your point on that. And But I want to back up to the AR for just another second, because the rap that we keep hearing on these guns, right? And I've, I've fired an AR only once in my life, Blue State Me, and it was really freaking fun. I mean, I understand why that is such a popular gun. It's easy. It's very um, modifiable, I believe, right? You can make a lot of changes to it, alterations to it. And it just seems like a lot of fun. But the rap that's out on these guns right now is that they are weapons of war. First of all, they were invented, you know, for soldiers during the Vietnam War. Uh, they have no purpose in hunting. You don't need an AR to to go kill a deer, and you really don't need it for any reason, right? It's you know, like if I went to a store and I told the guy I'd like to buy forty gallons of hydrochloric acid, he's going to say, "Well, actually, you need a reason for that." And unless you're a chemical plant, you probably don't have one. Uh, the gun controllers are saying we ought to apply the same logic to uh, the AR-15. And I guess as somebody who doesn't know as much about this gun as you do, what are they getting wrong there? Yeah, uh, the weapons of war and military style are, again, just phrases that people who want to ban all guns apply to the AR-15 and to other weapons just arbitrarily because they don't like them and they look scary. You know, the AR-15 is pretty large. It's black. It looks like a machine gun, but it's not. And like you said, it's highly modifiable. So that's something people like a lot about it. They can customize it to fit their needs, their hands, their, you know, body shape, whatever. It's very, it's a fun gun. It's neat. Um, and it shoots nicely. It doesn't have a lot of recoil kickback. So it's comfortable for a lot of people in a lot of ages and, you know, various stages of life. So the reason it's not a weapon of war. So what the military uses in general are guns that can, that have what's called selective fire. So that means you can switch the gun from shooting one bullet at a time to shooting three round bursts. It used to be automatic. So I like to explain it. You think of a can of hairspray, you know, I'm a girl. So this is a good analogy for me. If you have an aerosol can, you hold it down, it sprays the whole time. That's what an automatic weapon is. That's a weapon of war. They've changed that now in recent years to have three round bursts. So you hold down the trigger and it'll shoot, boom, boom, boom three times in a row. You release, you hold it down, it shoots three more right in a row. Um, I think the reason they changed that from just a general aerosol, just they say spray and spray um, in the military is because it makes you less accurate whenever you just have bullets spraying all over the place. It's recoiling, it's pushing your body back. Um, and they're also wasting a lot of ammo. So with three round bursts, it allows them to shoot three bullets essentially at the same time and then replace their, their trigger finger. So in that would be considered an automatic rifle, which people like to say AR stands for, which it does not, of course. <laughs> um, so the guns that it is possible to get an automatic rifle in America, it's extremely difficult. You have to fill out tons of paperwork. You have to wait a long time. A lot of a lot of the people who do it are collectors who just want to have, you know, a, a weapon from a, a historical war and their collection, but not a lot of people have these and it's extremely expensive and difficult to get. So what most ARs are, um, are semi-auto. So you pull the trigger once, one bullet comes out and then you reset. So it's a lot less, uh, 
less lethal because it takes a lot longer to shoot. It's basically a three to one ratio of bullets coming out. So the military, it's in their interest to shoot more, to shoot more efficiently, to have more bullets come out. So that's why it's not an auto, it's not a military style weapon. The military uses automatic weapons and uh, Americans who are buying AR-15s from the local gun store are not. For those who are wondering, Teresa used to work at a place that was literally called Gunpowder Magazine, which is why <laughs> I'm interviewing her and not the other way around. Um, the experience mostly runs one way here. But okay, yeah. so the, another argument that gets made frequently is that other countries had stronger gun cultures, at least than they do now, and they implemented serious gun control measures, and it cut down massively on gun crime and violent crime more generally. Uh, you know, the Australian example, the gun buyback program that they did after the a mass shooting that they had down there. Um, and it later went on to ban even more types of guns after another mass shooting that followed. Uh, Britain had two mass shootings, one in England, one in Scotland. They banned most private ownership of most guns. It's now very difficult to get a firearm there. And even in Canada, which is probably the country most like the United States, they've more gradually, more incrementally clamp down on firearms and they've seen their violent crime rate go down too, albeit it's still very high compared to the rest of the third world, uh, pardon me, the first world. That does seem like some pretty compelling comparative evidence. Uh, what do you say to all that? Well, what we saw in both Australia and in England was essentially, as you said, getting rid of all private ownership of guns, basically getting rid of guns altogether, which of course, if you get rid of every single gun in America, you won't have shootings of any kind. You also won't have hunting. You won't have uh, sport shooting. You won't have any gun culture whatsoever. Doing that with 393 plus million <laughs> guns is not uh, not reasonable. It's also not constitutional. As we know, the Second Amendment protects our right to keep and bear arms. And even with those mandates in place, even with those countries' attempts to take away essentially every gun from every citizen, they still do have shootings in those countries. Those guns do make their way into those countries. Uh, we actually recently in the last five years or so saw an uptick in gun, in gun crime in England. And we've also seen a surge in other forms of violence in knife attacks, acid attacks, people driving their cars into people, into crowds of people. So just because you take away one weapon, uh, which is a very effective weapon, nonetheless, people, criminals intent on causing carnage are going to find another way. And what did they do in England? They, uh, the mayor of London imposed a crackdown on knives. So it's you're kind of like playing whack-a-mole with different weapons. It's like, oh, uh, you don't have ready access to guns. Let's just ban the next weapon of choice. And violence is going to, you know, we live in a sinful world and there's evil and people are going to be violent. And stopping law-abiding good people from defending themselves and their families is not going to make it go away. Um, What's more, even if you did somehow round up all those 393 million guns from Americans, uh, I saw somebody on uh, Fox News was talking about how guns, especially with our open border policies right now, will easily make their way from Mexico into America. So unless you clamp down on the borders, which um, sounds like a pretty good idea to me, then uh, then guns are going to find their way in. Criminals are pretty savvy, and whenever they get something in their mind, they're pretty good at carrying it out. I think what I, I used to say, maybe I, I still do say to an extent is, you know, it, it, we're never going to be Britain. 
we're never even going to be Australia, but could, and it, it pains me to say this as an American, it like hurts my soul, but could we maybe be Canada on this issue, right? Where we find, <clears throat> we seek out gradually over time, you know, see what works, what doesn't work and find a middle ground on gun control uh, while still accepting that we're going to have a very high number of guns and allowing people to hunt, allowing people to shoot, maintaining that identity as a, a frontier nation. That's a convincing argument, I think, until you look at the fact that here comes Justin Trudeau saying, oh, by the way, we're going to cap the number of handguns now. We're going to try to get rid of handguns too. So what gun owners have always said, what the NRA has always said is that it's a slippery slope, right? If you let through one reform, then the same politicians are going to come back in another two years and say, also, we need this too. And then you're going to end up with a much more punitive gun regime than you ever wanted to have. Uh, Again, I'm not sure that I buy into that. And this does seem like a seriously overdue problem. I mean, it just th- this the level of mass shootings that we're experiencing right now, it, it cannot continue. And I don't think there's public, eventually there's going to be a public outcry for it not to continue. This is going to become a more potent political issue, maybe one that does eventually start to help the left a little bit. Um, but still be careful what you wish for. You know, I mean, be, be careful about how far you let uh, the government go. We've been talking about the, the greater forces that are behind this this surge of violence that we're seeing. <clears throat> I'm writing a column right now about the the nihilism that seems to have seized certain parts of America, right? The the inhumanity, the uh, the impulse to pick up a gun and go shoot up an elementary school or a crowded street in Philadelphia, targeting people at random, right? The, the, there's no just cause to this. It's just you're going on a shooting spree. It does feel like something broke, doesn't it? Like just a sprocket or a screw came loose somewhere. And like, there's just something that's culturally wrong with us at the moment. And I don't, that is an issue that transcends guns entirely. Like you were saying, it it runs much deeper into our psyche. And I I wonder what it is and, and how exactly we set about improving it. Absolutely. I felt, especially in the last three years that our world is increasingly chaotic. It seems as if it started to snowball. And then since the pandemic hit, things just really got wildly out of control. And I think there's just so much doom and gloom. I think that people have lost God. I think they've lost the connection to their family. You know, divorce rates are at an all-time high, Um, depression, anxiety, joblessness. You know, people Obviously, this is an oversimplified version of things, but people get on welfare. They don't go to work a- in- anymore. They sit at home. They um, they don't have a purpose. They're not contributing to society. They're not getting out of the house, exercising, seeing their friends. Um, you know, if they they have they feel empty inside. They they don't feel fulfilled. So, you know, if I didn't have religion, if I didn't have you know close good friends and family, I would be super depressed too. Um, so we have to consider as tragic and terrible as these things are, these are people who are suffering, um, you know, and we have to have a little bit of sympathy for them. They can't be in their right minds whenever they carry out this carnage and not that it excuses, of course, their, their terrible deeds in any way, but they didn't just become that way by accident. Um, you know, a lot of them do have mental illness problems, but I think it's, it's promoted by just, just a godless nihilistic, um, culture. Um, So to your point about what we can do about this, I always like to point out to people that we've had, we have gun control. We have had gun control for years and it's not working. So rather than apply more of it, 
uh, we need to be looking at other options. And uh, there's a a policy called constitutional carry, which is basically says if you are law abiding and you're of a certain age, you don't have to ask the government permission to carry a gun, you know, to exercise your Second Amendment rights. And that's why it's called constitutional carry, because that's how the founders intended gun ownership in America. And this has been sweeping the nation in recent years, even as gun control policies are promoted more and more every time there's a shooting, constitutional carry has really taken hold. And it's now uh, in, in 50 states, Texas actually passed it last year, which was huge. And we have not seen an uptick, even though we've lessened uh, what it takes to be able to carry a gun. We haven't seen a huge uptick in crime in any of these places. In fact, the three safest top three safest states in America have have constitutional carry and have for years. So the more you arm people, the safer society becomes. Um, And you think about every time there's a mass shooting, a bad guy with a gun is stopped by a good guy with a gun, either by a policeman showing up, either by the shooter taking his own life with a gun, or by somebody with, uh, you know, an armed citizen or a police officer shooting the person, the, the criminal. So it's, it's nasty to think about that we all have to walk around armed in this crazy world, but it's true. And Americans are realizing that we've seen record gun sales, uh, especially for first time gun buyers and by females and minorities who are realizing, you know, especially with defund the police and other, um, woke policies that, Sometimes you you have to take things upon yourself, take matters in your own hands, literally, and defend yourself and defend your family. And uh, I think this gun control is going to be a losing policy for uh, for the Democrats. I don't know what common sense gun control means, because essentially what gun control is asking is saying, Matt Purple committed a crime. Teresa, give up your weapons. How is that fair? (laughs) You know, I didn't do anything wrong. Or or even... And this is why I don't, even though I flirt with some gun control measures, I don't support red flag laws in any form because red flag, law, flag laws say Matt Purple hasn't committed a crime. Let's take away his guns. It's it just a total abrogation of due process. So, yeah, and, it, you know, we can take these measures one by one, but there's definitely some bad ideas in there. I, I remember after the Sandy Shook, Hook shooting in Connecticut, uh, a really smug, nasty governor by the name of Daniel Malloy decided to crack down on guns and signed into signed into law a sweeping gun control bill. And you had to register if you had, a, it was a certain number of guns. It wasn't an outright um, assault weapons ban, but you had to register certain rifles with the state. And so there were all these images, especially from Eastern Connecticut, which is much more rural, of guys standing in line with their guns, waiting to go register them at the local government office. And there's a kind of chilling feeling when that happened, right? Like you, something was being lost here. Some right uh, was being overthrown. And I can't even imagine how that would go over in a redder state like Pennsylvania, let alone Texas or Louisiana, right? It, it just, it, it would not play. I mean, you, you get to a point where you're almost talking about uh, risking touching off a civil war in order to stop violence. It, it just is a completely self-defeating proposition. And it, it'll be interesting to see what kind of agreement they're going to come to. I don't think Senator Chris Murphy is going to get anywhere near anything he wants. I don't think there's going to be another assault weapons ban. Um, but it will be interesting to see how much Republicans compromise and how far they ultimately go. Right. I wrote about this last week uh, on the website that uh, these gun control policies are basically saying, I don't trust you. Um, and it was interesting that during his speech to promote gun control and call for more of it, 
President Biden said, we need to do more. We need to act. We this, we that. And it's like, you're talking to a bunch of law-abiding, gun-toting, gun-loving, America-loving, good, honest people who just want to defend their families and children from the handful of crazy people who are evil and warped in the world. And like, saying we need to do better. Like, we're not the ones committing the crimes. Why are you including us and having to do better? We didn't do anything wrong. Um, so I think gun owners are getting, you know, sick of this. We were, we're willing to go through a background check. We're willing to do a few things here and there for the good of the order because we are, we're good people. And, you know, we, we pay our taxes, even though we might grumble a little bit along the way. It's annoying to have to wait, you know, three days or whatever to get approved for a gun, but we're going to do it if we think that, um, it's what we're supposed to do and it's our duty. Um, but I don't I don't think this is we've seen in recent polling that support for gun control has gone down, even among young people who, um, you know, tend to be a little bit more liberal when they're younger, because we don't see that it's working. And I think another thing is the hypocrisy of the people who call the loudest for gun control measures are people like Nancy Pelosi, President Biden himself, people, celebrities who have armed uh, security details. <laughs> you know, they're saying, uh, give up your guns. You're not allowed to defend yourself. But here I am with, you know, a, a bunch of AR-15s, weapons of war, quote unquote, standing behind me to protect my life, but you can't protect your own. So I think that we're just gonna we're gonna talk about it as we usually do, and uh, legislators from red states know that it's not a popular policy with their constituents who uh, who have been following the laws and are fed up with uh, with the threat of gun control and being told that they are not trustworthy because they've done nothing wrong. Yeah, if Nancy Pelosi's bodyguard doesn't shoot you, then her husband's gonna drive back <laughs> into you. So you know, that's, that's a good point. She's definitely somebody. She's definitely somebody who's the authority to be telling the rest of us what to do. That's another um, good analogy. It's like they're drunk drivers in the world. So nobody else is allowed to drink or nobody else is allowed to drive. Like nobody ever says that. One guy shoots a bunch of people and then suddenly we all have to give up our guns. Like, Yeah, but okay. And, and so one more one more challenge here and then we'll we'll end the podcast. It strikes me as a little insane that you can buy an AR-15 at age 18 in a lot of states, but you can't get a drink until you're 21. Right. Which is maybe an argument for lowering the drinking age rather than raising the gun age. But I would agree. I mean, you're an adult and in every other way you can sign up for the military. You can be drafted. You can be sent off. You can vote. You can elect the people who tell you what you can and can't do with your gun or with any number of other things. But you're not responsible. I mean, you can go to the military when you're 18 and shoot a gun, but you can't defend yourself in your own home. Yeah, I'd say lower the drinking age. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of The District, don't forget to subscribe. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Spectator World is the American edition of the world's oldest magazine. To read more content on similar topics, please visit spectatorworld.com.